In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the fourth Sunday uh, of Peshens, and today we read and remind ourselves of one of the Sundays of the Great Fast, which was the Temptation Sunday, where we read about how Christ was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And we read in Luke chapter 4, verse 6, And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. One of the temptations that the devil tempted Christ with was the temptation of authority, that he's saying, I'm going to give you, um, essentially, the entire world to have authority uh, over. And so we know that this is a lie. The way that the devil speaks to us is always in lies. He is the father of lies. He is always speaking lies. And even when his lies sound like the truth, they are still lies, and these are the most dangerous of lies. If you think about the kinds of lies that we dismiss outright and don't even consider to be true, they're the ones that are outrageous, that have no sense of truth in them at all, that no aspect of it is even appealing in any way, and we just immediately discount them and say, no, this is a lie, this is not true. Something that directly contradicts everything we know to be true cannot be true. So the devil doesn't use these kinds of lies because they're very clear and obvious and we would dismiss them out of hand. But the kind of lies that the devil uses are very cunning and subtle lies. Lies that are mixed with truth. So that part of it is true and part of it is false. And this is the hardest type of lie to discern because there's always some element of truth. There's always some element of even goodness in maybe the kind of lies that the devil says. But then based on this half-truth, on this small amount of good that is in it, he then causes us to conclude something that is false. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, we read about the cunningness of the serpent. And it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. He was the most cunning. He is the most clever. He is the most crafty. And in John chapter 8, Christ says about the devil, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. He is the father of lies. He is the source of lies. Just as Christ said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that Christ is the source of truth, so also the devil is the opposite. He is the source of deceit. He is the source of lies. So I want to speak briefly today about some of the lies that the devil tells us that it's very easy for us to believe. And these lies that we believe, even subconsciously, even in the way that we act or think, uh, has a big impact on, on, on what we do in our lives and what we think. First lie um, is that Satan does not exist. Even though that the devil fell um, into pride and he wanted to take the place of God and wanted to be God, and yet he wants to be invisible. He wants to remain hidden and, and, and unseen. Whereas maybe for us, whenever we feel pride, we want recognition. We want people to see us. We want people to know our name and to know who we are. And yet when it comes to the devil, he doesn't want anyone to know his name. He doesn't want people to know what he looks like. He doesn't want people to believe he exists at all. In Ephesians 6 verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. These are things in, in another realm. These are things in the heavenly places. The devil is not obviously clear to the eye when we look around, when we, when we see him. Okay? And the devil is very active. The devil is very active. And yet, even though he is active, he hides his trail, so that it is sometimes difficult for us to detect him, to find him. 
in the parable of the uh, four soils, when Christ is speaking about the soil that, um, uh, that landed on the path, and the birds came and ate the seeds, it says, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes the word that was sown in their hearts. So one of the ways maybe the devil operates is that he takes away the word that is sown in our heart, that we read a, a word or we hear a word, and it's intended to have a positive effect. It's intended to have an effect that, that goes deep, that pierces our soul, that causes us to believe, that causes us to repent, that causes us to change, that convicts us of sin and, and increases our faith. And yet in that moment, when that word begins to touch our heart, the devil comes and he wants to take it away by whatever means he takes. Maybe he takes it by our being distracted. He takes it by the worries of the world. He takes it because of selfishness. He takes it for whatever reason. And, and this event that's happening is actually from, from him. Okay? Think about if there is someone attacking us, who is behind the attack? You know, the world believes that there is destruction and corruption and evil. Okay? But we don't speak about evil in a general sense. We don't speak about evil as an entity or as a concept. Evil is a person. Just as God is a person, so that life and love is a person, so also evil is a person. And so we don't try to say that there's just evil, as though evil is just a, a natural part of the world. No, this evil was not a natural part of the world. Evil is not, was not supposed to have existed. But the devil chose evil, and he is now the source of evil, and he is the one who incites us to do evil. So he exists, and he is warring, and he is very active against us. And the more we deny him, or we ignore him, or don't realize that how active he is, we hurt ourselves, and, and, and the world continues down this path that it is in, because we don't acknowledge that there is an enemy. The first way to defeat an enemy is to acknowledge who the enemy is. There's no way for us to defeat an enemy unless we understand the enemy, unless we know the enemy exists. But if I walk around not believing that there is an enemy, then I'm going to make very foolish decisions. Imagine that we're in our house and there's a group of people outside of the house that are attacking us, that are banging on the door, that are trying to get in. We immediately identify there is an enemy and so we, we, we take care, we're careful, we try to escape, we do something to try to avoid them. But if we're not aware that the enemy exists, we're just going to open the door and walk out thinking that everything is fine and we're going to be ambushed. So we have to be very careful in understanding who is the enemy and the enemy is existing. The second lie that the devil tells us is that the word of God cannot be trusted. That the word of God cannot be trusted. The devil wants us to believe only our senses. He says, only believe what you can sense. Your five senses that God has given us, sense with these senses, and this is the only thing that exists, this is the only thing that is real, nothing else beyond this exists, and everything else must be wrong. And this idea of doubting the Word of God began again even in the Garden of Eden. We see so many of the characteristics of the devil in the very beginning in the Garden. In Genesis chapter 3, he was speaking to Eve. He says, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Right? So he, he's, making, he's making God out to be a liar. Even though he is the liar, he's making God out to be the liar. So the first thing that he says to her, is like a test to see if she even knows the word of God. Right? He says, what has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He's saying, hasn't God told you you can eat of every tree? Well, this is a false. He did not say you can eat of every tree. He says you can eat of every tree except for the one tree. 
So if she was completely ignorant of the law, if she had no idea about what God has commanded, then he is inciting her to sin out of her ignorance. When the devil comes to us out of our ignorance and he tells us to do according to something that we are not even aware is wrong or that because we don't know what it is that God commands, this is one type of temptation. He's, he's just, he's taking advantage of our ignorance. But then beyond this, how the woman responded, she says, no, God said that there is one tree that we shall not eat of it and we shall not touch it. And if we, if we do eat of it, we will die. So she knew the word of God. So she, she responded actually to the devil saying, I know the word of God and God said, do not eat of this tree. Okay. But then the serpent, what? He didn't just attack the word of God. He attacked, he, he attacked the, 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 um, like the intention of God. He attacked, that he's saying essentially that what God has told you is wrong. It's not, it's not just that you didn't know what God said. No, you know what God said, but what God said is incorrect. What God said is wrong. You will not surely die. He uses the exact same words that God used, but in reverse. You shall not surely die. Okay. So one thing that we should learn from this is that we will never win an argument with the devil. We will never win. He will always trick us somehow. He will always convince us somehow that there is something that he is saying that sounds right, that, that we should do. Which is why when we're, we have these conversations um, with ourselves, sometimes we feel like we're talking to ourselves or we're trying to figure out, okay, is this something I should do? Should I not do? The more we kind of uh, allow ourselves to go down that path of um, considering sin and discussing sin and thinking about sin and we've, we've almost like inevitably fallen into that road where we'll inevitably sin okay so what is the things that the, that the devil makes us doubt he makes us doubt god's promises right what has god said he makes us doubt those things those things that god has said maybe maybe we feel like those things are not happening maybe they haven't happened yet according to what god has said and yet the devil is the one who whispers in our ears says no god is never going to do that God is never going to solve this problem. God is never going to answer your prayer. God is never going to hear you. God doesn't even hear you at all. All those like whisperings in our ear that comes from the devil. This is what he wants. He wants us to doubt that God is going to keep his promises to us. Two, he makes us to doubt the love of God. God doesn't love us. God doesn't care about it. God is too busy for us. God, you know, we have sinned so much against God. There is no way that God could forgive us. He also makes us doubt the power of God. When we are faced with difficult challenges that seem to be too big, he says, he says, makes us feel like God could not even resolve these problems. And finally, he makes us doubt God's knowledge. Maybe God doesn't know what's right. Maybe there's something that I should be doing that God, or God, something God should be doing and he's not doing it. He makes us doubt. Maybe God is doing something wrong. Okay? In, and in all these ways, the devil wants to be our friend. The devil wants to, the devil, if he were to appear, he's not going to appear with like horns and a tail because we would run from him. He would appear as the most attractive person, the, the most likable person, the person that we all want to be with, because this is what is going to get us to talk to him. This is going to get us to be with him. And he's not going to immediately start peddling evil. He's going to start out with the good, and he's going to gradually lead us to evil. Okay? So this is the second lie, is that God's word cannot be trusted. The third lie that the devil tells us is that sin carries no consequences. Okay. In the Garden of Eden, Eve took pretty lightly the commandment that God said. He said, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And the devil, when he told her, you will not die, she took this pretty lightly. He says, okay, I'm willing to take the risk. I'm willing to say, okay, well, maybe God said this, but it, maybe it's not a big deal. I'm just going to go ahead and, and do this because it's not a big deal. 
but but he made her feel like there would be no consequence for sin. In Galatians 6 verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. We will reap what we sow. Whatever it is we reap, we will sow. And this is what God is telling us. And, and the sowing, when we sow the fruit of sin, or we sow the result of sin, it is not necessarily a punishment. It's not necessarily that God is, is saying, because you did this sin, I am now going to punish you. No, we are reaping the natural consequence of the sin that we committed. It is not that God's wrath is being poured out on us and He's trying to destroy us or He hates us. It's that God told us not to do those things because they carry a consequence. They carry a consequence. Do not do them because I love you. Not do not do them because I want to destroy you and if you do them, I will destroy you. Okay? So the devil wants us and he convinces us before we sin that it will carry no consequence. It's almost like our mental state changes before we commit sin. Even a sin we've committed many times in the past, sin that we know will bring shame, will be bring harm, will bring fear, will bring distress, will bring self-hatred, will bring whatever it brings. We know that it's going to bring this. We know for sure this is what's going to happen because we've experienced it before. And yet somehow in the moment, we convince ourselves that this time is different. This time that I'm going to benefit from this, that something is good about this, that I want to enjoy this sin, and so it is not going to be harmful for me. We feel like it will be okay. Here are some things we might think about in terms of being deceived by this, that sin carries no consequences. One, it's not as bad as a thin sin as we thought. Okay, we think this, it's not as bad as we thought. You know, maybe God is not going to you know, doesn't really look down on this as being a sin. Maybe this is actually okay. I know so many people that do this and it's fine. Okay. Two, I'm under a lot of stress. We sometimes give ourselves license to sin when we're under stress and these sins relieve us from stress. And so we feel like this is something that is good. We actually see a benefit to it. And we say, well, maybe it's good. How could God say something no to something that's beneficial? Three, we say God will understand Right? God knows me, and He knows the suffering I'm in, and He knows the pain I'm in, He knows the weakness that I have, so God is going to understand, and so we use this as an excuse to sin. For I am not hurting anyone, and this is something we use a lot, the idea that I'm not hurting anyone. We, 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 we think like the world thinks, which is that if I'm not hurting anyone outside of me, then anything goes. Right? But God has said what? that we are the temple of God. And so when we defile ourselves, we prevent ourselves from being a place where God can dwell. So, <clears throat> so the person we are hurting is ourselves, but indirectly also we hurt others. Because when I am corrupted, when I'm defiled, when, I'm, when I sin, indirectly it's going to affect other people one way or the other. So God is not only commanding us not to hurt others. He is telling us to be perfect in ourselves so that He can dwell in us. We say um, to ourselves, it won't hurt me or my relationship with God. We think that maybe our relationship with God can remain unaffected even though we live a life of sin. Six, I can't, expected, I can't be expected to be holy all the time. Sometimes we imagine that there are certain amounts of time, maybe after we feel like we have done a lot of good, that now it's like my time. And in my time, I can live differently. I can live according to what my standards are and not according to God's standards because I'm always good so so much. Now I don't have to be as good anymore. And then finally we think, and maybe this is the, the biggest one, is that we say, well, God will forgive me. We take advantage of the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God because I know that any time that I repent, that God is going to forgive me. 
And even if this is the case, and even if I am sincere in my repentance, and I do repent, and God does forgive me, it still does not erase the consequences of the sin. It still does not erase the natural consequences of the sin. The separation from God does not is not erased immediately simply because I, I've confessed. There's something there that, that, that lingers. There's something there that takes a long time to heal. The fourth lie that the devil tells us is that God is holding out on us. Okay, Again, back to the Garden of Eden, when the devil is trying to convince Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit, he says to her, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. So why does he not want you to eat of this? Because you're going to benefit, and he doesn't want you to benefit. <clears throat> he doesn't want you to have this. He doesn't want your eyes to be open. He wants you to stay blind. He wants you to stay submissive. He wants you to stay as you are, not knowing good and evil, just kind of his followers and his disciples and his children, and that's it. But if you do eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and maybe you will become like God. Okay. And this, is, this was one of the ways that the devil tricked Eve, is he, he made it sound like God was not on her side that God was holding out on her, that he had, there was something really good that, that he didn't want her to have, and the reasons he didn't want her to have it was because of selfish reasons that God is stingy, and he doesn't want to give her what is best. And sometimes we believe this about the commandments of God. We, we believe about God that he is just an authoritarian, that he just gives commands because he, he can, and he wants to see our, our response. I'm going to give you a bunch of commands and see how you do. And if you do good, then I will reward you. But if you don't good, do good, I will destroy you. Okay? So we don't think of it in terms of that God's commandments are good for us. God is, is placing restrictions and boundaries for us because when we cross those boundaries, we will be harmed. You know, like a sheep in a pen. If, we, if the sheep were to wander out of the pen, thinking that it's very brave and strong and can survive outside, and then it quickly finds out that it's wrong and that it wants to go back again. And we are like these sheep that we think ourselves strong, that we can go live outside of this pen and go explore the world on our own without the shepherd, and yet we are mistaken. Because all the times that we try to venture out, we realize how weak we really are. So it's part of this is a self-identification. What am I? Who am I? And why do I need God? And why is His commands good for me? So if we believe that his commands are good, even if they are restrictive, even if they prevent me from doing something I wish I could, I wish I could enjoy, but we trust that God is good. We trust that even though I wish I could do this, there is a good reason why God is preventing it from me, even if I don't quite understand it yet. Maybe I don't fully understand why. We see this very much in the lives of our children. I mean, our children, they always believe that they know what's best for them. They always believe that they have strength and they have intelligence and they can go and live in the world and do everything amazingly better than any other person, right? Because of their, because they have no experience. They, they don't know what life is actually like. So anytime they attempt to go and do these things, they, they fail miserably. They can't even do basic things, right? So sometimes we, like children, we assume that we have far, far greater influence, far, far greater authority, far, far greater power than we really have and we try to do these things thinking we can do them without being harmed, but we get burned. So God is trying to keep us from this, to prevent us from going through this cycle. And we sometimes have the um, mentality that I want to try, I want to experiment, right? You know, someone might have said about Eve, well, just, you're going to know what is good and evil. Eat of the fruit, you will know what is good and evil. What's wrong with knowledge, right? What's wrong with knowledge? Have you, you're not going to do the evil. 
you're just going to know about the evil. And this is the, the issue that happens with us. Is sometimes we believe that we can know evil, and we can fraternize with evil, and we can be accompanied by evil, and we can be in the midst of evil, and that somehow I will remain pure, and I will remain righteous. This doesn't happen. Okay? The more knowledge of evil we get, the more that evil begins to attack us from the inside. The more the images of evil begin to to kind of toy with us, the more evil begins to attract us. So we have to separate ourselves from evil, not to be in the midst of evil believing that we can somehow be strong enough to resist. And this is one of the reasons God gives us commandments. He doesn't say, go try and live how you want, and then when you're done, come back and I'll give you a second chance. He says, don't even cross this line, because when you cross this line, you're going to be harmed. The fifth lie that the devil tells us is that we can be like God is that we can be like God. In Genesis 3 verse 5, he's speaking to Eve, he says, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. And, and this is the sin that the devil fell into. The devil wanted to be like God. And so he tempts us the same as, the, as, how he, as what he wanted, to be like God. How is it that we want to be like God? We want to be like God in many ways. We want to be like God because we want to be authors of our own lives. We don't want someone telling us what to do or what is right and what is wrong. We want to do it on our own. We want to make decisions on our own. We don't want someone to, to tell us what is right. Okay? And we see society as a whole, even when we don't believe in God as a society, when the society is becoming more atheistic, is, is becoming more of a God-like society, wanting to be like God that we can control everything in nature, that we know everything in nature, that science is, is, is given us and opened so many doors for us that we can be like God, creating even life, doing everything that God can do. And, and maybe that's not the goal. They're not trying to say, well, we can do everything God can do. But this is the reason why atheism is on the rise. It's because we believe that we can do everything that we used to attribute to God. And so we say, well, then why, does, why do we even need God? We don't need God to exist because we can do everything that He can do. Okay. There's one very important thing that maybe people forget that God does that no other human can do is we cannot actually create. All we can do is take what God has created and use it and combine it and make it into different things. But we cannot actually create anything. We are using everything God has created to create other things. Okay, So we are not creators. God is the creator. But we are thinking more and more that we can be like God. You know, there are people that are thinking that very soon we will be able to cure death as a disease. It will no longer necessarily have to be that people die. Because this is the goal that people want. We want to be immortal. We want to live eternally. We think that we are gods and we can live forever. You know, we begin to toy with things that God has created. For instance, sexuality. Instead of leaving it up to God, we now say, no, I can choose the sex that I want to be. Whether I want to be a man or I want to be a woman, I, I can choose what I am. Not, I am what God created me to be, I choose to be what I am. And so many things where we kind of are starting more and more to tread upon things that um, only the Creator should do. Things like human cloning, you know, things like this. Like, this is something only God should, should be messing with. He is the Creator. And the more we begin to, to tread upon this ground, we, have, we, we run serious risk of destroying a lot of things and messing a lot of things up. We want to be like God. We feel powerful when we are like God. And the devil reinforces this and he tells us, yes, you can be like him. You can be like him. The last lie I'm going to speak about is... The devil wants us to believe that we cannot resist temptation. 
Okay, and, he, and in the scripture that we read today, we see three examples of how the devil tempted Christ and Christ resisted. And Christ did not give in to temptation. And we say, well, maybe this is because he is God, so obviously he's not going to sin, but that's not me. Okay, but he's doing this for a reason. He's showing us that through his power, we can resist temptation. And maybe we've given up on certain temptations, We've given up on trying to resist them because we feel like we failed so many times in resisting different temptations and we feel maybe hopeless about it. And there's nothing we can, we can do. Okay? And the devil wants us to believe that. He wants us to believe that we have no choice, that once temptation comes, we have no choice but to fall. And there's no point in struggling. There's no point in resisting. Even if we ultimately fall into sin, there is a benefit in resisting. There is benefit in struggling. The struggle is actually what teaches us to grow spiritually. right? Maybe God is never going to grant us the day where we will be completely free of temptation. Actually, if we were all free of temptation, and we had no temptation, and we had no sin, that maybe we would fall into the, 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 the lie I just spoke about before, which is becoming like God. We will think that we are so righteous and perfect that we don't even need God because we are perfect in and of ourselves. But through sin, we are humbled. The more I see my weaknesses, the more I see my sin, the more I am humbled. But we are called to struggle. Even if I continue to sin in some aspect, we are called to struggle. Okay? Why do we give in? Why do we give in? Sometimes we feel, well, the fall is inevitable. It is inevitable that I'm going to fall. So why even struggle? You know, why struggle for an hour and then fall into sin? Why don't I just do it now? Because there's no point in me uh, struggling. Another reason that we struggle is, or that we fall quickly is because the longer that I struggle, the harder the struggle becomes. You know, like if you're trying to, if you're really hungry and there's a, you know, like a plate of delicious food on the table and you are trying to prevent yourself from eating it, okay, the first five minutes maybe is okay, but after an hour of getting hungrier and hungrier and looking at it more and more, it's going to become harder and harder and harder to resist. And so maybe part of us is believing what? If I'm going to inevitably fall anyway, then there's no point in even me trying to delay the, the, the fall. But no, there is benefit in delaying the fall. There is benefit in me working on myself to learn how to delay more and more and more. And the devil is the one who comes and tells us there's no point in even trying. There's no point in even resisting for one minute. Okay, just give in immediately. The moment you have any urge, the moment you, you any thought comes to your mind, just go ahead and do it and satisfy yourself. There's no reason in, in delaying or waiting. Okay? We also think, what well, even if I'm able to overcome a temptation this time, well, the temptation is going to eventually come again. So if the temptation comes again, then again, I'm going to be back in the same boat. Okay? So we have to understand that resisting temptation is a virtue in and of itself. The idea that I'm resisting, even if I eventually fall, the resistance is where we learn and we where we grow. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Right? God is saying, God is making us a way of escape. Right? We have to believe this, that God is making for us a way of escape. There is a way for us to escape temptation, but we have to understand what it is, and we have to um, you know, look for it. Sometimes this way of escape is before temptation even begins. You know, like if we live a life of prayer, it will be much, be much easier for us to resist temptation when temptation happens. 
because we're already like connected to God. We already like have that connection. So fleeing temptation will be easier. Okay, that's a that's something that we were doing before temptation even came. But let's say I haven't been doing that. Let's say I have no connection with God at all, and then temptation hits me. Now maybe I'm completely unprepared for it, so I have no I have no recourse. I'm going to fall. Okay, so so when when God is saying saying about having a way of escape, this way of escape is is a is a lifestyle. The way of escape is something that I do on a regular basis to allow me that escape. So in conclusion, we spoke about six lies of Satan. The first one, Satan does not want us to believe that he exists. Because if he doesn't exist, then we are not going to be on guard against him. We're going to believe that we are safe. And because we feel like we are safe, there's no reason to be prepared, there's no reason to fight, there's no reason to resist, there's no reason to be alert. But if we believe he exists, then we will be alert and we will be more successful against him. The second lie is that God's word cannot be trusted. He doesn't want us to believe that God is speaking the truth to us and that the Bible has truth. Because he doesn't want us to read it, he doesn't want to understand it, he doesn't want us to follow it. Three, the third lie is that sin carries no consequences. That we can sin and everything will be fine. And there will be no negative consequence to sin. Four, the fourth lie is that God is holding out on us. That there's a lot of good things that we can get by sinning and God just doesn't want us to have it because he is stingy and not good. The fifth lie is that we can be like God. That we can be like him, we can take his place, we can do the things that only he can do. And then finally, the sixth lie is that we cannot resist temptation. That there's no point in struggling and fighting because we are, will inevitably fall. So may God grant us to see through the lies the devil speaks to us and to see him clearly so that we know how to fight him and to avoid him. And glory be to God forever. Amen.